0: Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor. We got Krishna producing, and we are talking about the state of the Spurs. Lucky enough to have Matthew Tynan on the show. Uh, You can find his newsletter, Corporate Knowledge Newsletter, a place for all of your Spurs information. Uh, Matthew, how are you doing today, and how are you feeling about the state of the Spurs?
1: I'm doing well, man. Um, And as far as the state of the Spurs... uh, You know, I think things are starting to go a little bit more uh, as folks might have thought, as the team might have planned. Um, Outside of the whole Josh Primo thing, uh, I think think that from a basketball perspective, things are, are going pretty well for them right now.
0: Yeah, we we were actually gonna record last week, but yeah. there was there was so much news going on. We were like, all right, maybe we'll we'll wait just to see everything plays out. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, we were gonna we were gonna record the day of the press conference, and we were all talking like, uh, this probably isn't the greatest day to record a basketball podcast about the Spurs <laughs> because there's a whole lot else going on off the court. Um, but it is. I, I'm I'm glad that you all wanted to return and and talk about the basketball side of things because frankly. The other stuff has been, uh, you know, obviously just an awful situation all around. So, um, yeah, it's it's good to be talking about basketball again because that part of things with the Spurs has actually been – pretty enjoyable and entertaining so it's good to be
0: to that you know you're not the f- the first person I've talked to in the last like week or two that's been like you know I really would just love to talk about basketball and not all <laughs> of the things surrounding the NBA because I feel like the last yeah. I feel, it feels like two months straight there's just been absolutely crazy things going on
1: Yeah, you know, we were kind of joking around like it, when I was around the team and, and with uh, other media members like Man, this Josh Primo stuff is is terrible. But you know, Spurs are waking up every morning, like looking at the at the headlines and being like, "Oh, thank God, the Nets are at it again." <laughs> um, so it, it's been like it's been just like this. It's been a mess, man. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's who's looking forward to talking about basketball. Not that the other stuff isn't important and deserves the coverage. It does, um, and. That stuff will take care of itself, obviously, but still basketball to talk about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the Spurs. Let's talk about so the state of the franchise, I feel like um it would maybe be good to zoom out a little bit than than just the beginning of the season here because they are in the middle of a rebuild. Um they they trade DeJounte Murray in the offseason, get a bunch of picks back from the Hawks. Where, try tell me out here, right, because I have the data, which is fantastic, which is really helpful to evaluate the players and the team, but more as a, as a franchise, where where would you say they are in the rebuild process, and what's their timeline looking like?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the rebuild itself really started last summer.
0: Um, you know, I don't,
1: I don't think anyone in the organization, at least no one I spoke with, um, and coaches, players, uh, everybody around there. They didn't, they had high hopes for DeJounte Murray, but I'm not sure any of them would have looked looked at you with a straight face and told you that a year from now, he's going to be garnering four first round picks in a trade or at least three picks and a swap. Um, so the type of lead that DeJounte made was, was unexpected on their timeline. You know, I, the Spurs, had planned on continuing forward with him. This wasn't a situation where um, they were looking at DeJounte Murray as like the next guy out the door after they had traded DeMar DeRozan after Rudy Gay, Pales, like, you know, all of these, these veterans uh, had, had left. Um, DeJounte was kind of the guy. I mean, not kind of the guy. He was the guy. He was the face of the organization. He was their number one dude going forward. Um, So really, in earnest, the rebuild started last year. It just sort of took an unexpected turn over the summer. And I think the Spurs looked at the bigger picture and said, well, we have DeJounte Murray, who's made this leap. He is two years out from potentially requesting a max contract and considering the numbers he was putting up. And when you look around the league at the guys who get contracts, which is damn near everybody if you play (laughs) at an all-star level, Um, I think it was pretty safe to say to assume that he was going to be requesting one. And as young as DeJounte is, he's just 26 years old. He's still like seven years older than the rookies on this team. Um, He's still four years older than Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson. Uh, So when it came to like the timeline of where the Spurs were looking to rebuild, having a guy that's, that is that much further ahead already you know, already talking about, at least, you know, we were already talking about his third contract. Like you're talking about a situation where, okay, if we keep DeJounte, are we, what are we going to be doing? Competing for the play-in tournament again? Um, Do we believe that the ceiling can be elevated beyond what it's been recently? And of course, with any projected improvements from Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell, that was possible, but it was like, how much, higher can the ceiling actually be raised? Um, so yeah, I think when they got that size of an offer, one that kind of, when you look back over the summer, uh, kind of set the market for what trade prices were, because then you saw Gobert going for five picks and Donovan Mitchell going for five picks. Um, so, I think it just took a turn, and they decided they had a great opportunity to reset the timeline, go even younger, keep their, fun, their cap flexibility intact, and move forward from there. Uh, because regardless of whether they kept Murray uh, or not, it would be a long road ahead to get back to title contention.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that does make a lot of sense. So Murray is a player that uh, is interesting because if you go into his data on basketball index, he improved every single season in our O LeBron, which is our, our overall offensive impact for the first like five years of his yeah. career. And then he took a gigantic leap last year. So it does seem like, Uh, If you were going to trade a guy, it it does seem like his stock really was through the roof this offseason. So if you are going to move him, this does kind of seem like the ideal time where there's still some time left on his contract, and that can make him a really, really valuable trade asset. Obviously, you get the first round picks back. Um, so that kind of shifts the focus of the franchise. It seems like, it seems like Keldon Johnson, uh, Devin Vassell seem like the two real building blocks of the future, both really young guys, both, uh, actually, I don't know if you know this We So we had, uh, you know, there's the all defensive team. So we were like at basketball index, we were like, Oh, we should do our version of that to kind of give it an analytics (laughs) slant. Uh, hopefully, you know, maybe get some things, maybe more correct on the defensive side. And then, uh, we also have defensive roles, so you can be, you know, like a wing stopper, point of attack guy, chaser, and Vassell actually right, made our all uh, basketball index role team as the best chaser in the league defensively last year, which really put him on my radar, and uh, it seems like he, he just really has hit the ground running and has played extremely well.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things about, about Vassell when he came in, it was like, we know that this guy has the defensive potential. We know that he has at the very least the three and D type potential. There were flashes in college of the shot creation, especially like in the mid range. Um, but what we knew was like, this guy is going to be at the very least like a league average defender, if not better. Um, And you're right. He hit the ground running from that perspective, even though like we have to keep in mind, like he came in at the most difficult year possible, like right in the middle of the pandemic, there was no summer league. There was no ramp up. There was hardly a training camp. Um, He was kind of buried in the depth chart, having to earn minutes along the way. He was very limited in terms of his role, but here we are. Um in his third season, and now now the training was off, and now DeJounte Murray is gone. And now throughout all of last year, and even going into his rookie season a little bit, all you heard from coaches, from teammates, was like, this guy's got the potential to do this, to do that. Uh, he just needs to have the confidence to do it. He needs to go the ball and like actually show people what he can do on a basketball court. And Between the fact that he bulked up a lot over the summer um, and now he is one of the leaders of the team and has that responsibility and those expectations, like you're really starting to see this stuff um, show up on the court. Not only is he getting to his spots, I mentioned range stuff and, and the shot creation in that area of the floor and the potential from three, but like he's actually getting to the basket. Um, He's attacking, he's playmaking, he's doing all these things that weren't really in his repertoire before. And like with De'Jounte Murray in the fold, he didn't necessarily have to be that guy. But now he is, and man, through... I think he's played eight games now. He missed... or No, it would be seven. He missed four with an injury. Um, But yeah, we're starting to see the talent that the Spurs saw in him. And the Spurs is an organization... Are sort of methodical in their player development. Like it's pretty common to not really see the big leap until year three. We saw that going back to Kawhi Leonard. We saw that uh, here with with uh, with Keldon Johnson last season. And then we're seeing it again with Devin Vassell this year. So it's kind of he's kind of right on track with how the Spurs typically bring guys along, and he's producing.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Producing early, I know it's early. You said only seven games, yeah, but uh, he's shooting forty six percent from three on seven and a half a game, uh, averaging twenty points. Uh, that's that's that is something to be excited about. Uh, this entire team actually is just absolutely flamethrowing from three yeah. early in the season. <laughs> what is that like? To, I think it's something like they're they're seven percent above league average on three pointers, which is crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're really uh, crushing it from the three-point line right now, which is a big, it's a far cry from what it's been the last two years. They've been, they the last two years, uh, they shot 35% from the three-point line. And I haven't looked at the updated numbers since last night, actually. But the three-point percentages are pushing 39% right now, which is crazy. Kind of doubt that's sustainable. Um, but... We know now, I mean, Keldon Johnson showed throughout last year that that guy is a 40% three-point shooter. Um, Devin Passell has always had sort of the idea or the potential to be that kind of guy, but he hasn't ever shown it. He's been hovering, uh, he hovered around 35%, 36% through his first two seasons. So I don't imagine 46%
0: is sustainable (laughs)
1: either. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think more than anything right now, especially, you know, defenses usually take longer to come around early in the season than offenses do. So, like, he's going to be getting more difficult looks as the season goes on, especially as defenses look and see, like, oh, crap, like, Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell are both averaging 20 plus a game. Like, this is defense. This is the Spurs offense. If you can neuter these guys uh, and force the other players to hit shots, like, that's probably going to be your best bet. Um, but and kind of to your point or talking about the the flame throwing, they're hitting a very high percentage of contested shots right now. So you would expect a lot of these numbers drop a little bit, but I don't think that we're looking at the guys who are hitting these threes and thinking to ourselves, like they won't at the very least be dependable three point shooters. They all sort of have that in their bag, um, with the exception of maybe Trey Jones, who has completely transformed as a three point shooter, but you know, he's a guy who's taking open threes and hitting them. So as long as they're open, they've got a good good chance of going in for him. Um, But just in general, you know, last year getting rid of guys like Derek white and Lonnie Walker, whose three point percentages as their careers went on dropped, like especially white and Walker, like their, their percentages from the outside dropped precipitously. I don't know why I believe, don't really understand why you don't typically see that from Spurs players, especially, you know, with a guy like Chip England, who was there until the off season. Um, but this season guys have improved. There hasn't been regression. Um, and they're not going to shoot the way they are currently, but I think that you're looking at a team that has good dependable three point shooters that will at least, uh, be able to keep defenses honest throughout the course of the season
0: yeah let's talk about kelden johnson a little bit we talked about the three-point shooting uh he he had a, a pretty nice year last year you know one of those things where it seems like he's kind of just gotten better every year uh this seems like it could be early in a breakout year in year four uh i will i will say i have to come clean about this so he got his extension in the offseason and on my side, I think I was a little worried. Anytime you have to commit money in the NBA, right, because you get stuck sure. in salary cap situations. I, I imagine it's not a super big problem for the Spurs right now, mid-rebuild. But was was it they- is not? <laughs> they, they have an absurd amount of space right now, so they're they're okay <laughs> so was the idea because my thing is right like bef- if you give it in year three you you still have one more year because on the rookie deals it's always four years right um was the idea sort of like a baseball deal where it's like okay we're gonna give you the contract now and you you we, we like what we're seeing but let's maybe try to give you the contract before the huge breakout and avoid having to give like a Tyler hero esque contract out uh sure. or am I I don't know am I reading too far into this I don't know
1: No, no. I mean, I think it's a valid question. Like what exactly did the Spurs see coming? Um, It was early enough in the summer to where I don't think that they're sitting here thinking like, oh man, Keldon Johnson's about to average 25 a game. about to check into training camp having lost 20 pounds. Like, I don't think they could have possibly foreseen any of that. I think this was more of a, like, we just traded DeJounte Murray. We're giving the reins of this team to this younger 22 and under core. So like now that we have Keldon Johnson coming up, like let's take care of him for a reasonable, totally reasonable deal. When you look at the contracts and the, the, the agreements that were reached just prior to the season with guys like Tyler hero, as you, as you brought up
0: guys like um, RJ, Barrett. But no, I think yeah, R. J.
1: and RJ, but ba- yeah, I mean uh, a, a lot of these guys. So, um, I think basically what they were looking at was was like, look, this is what we're committing to now, and and we want to make sure that they know that, that the fans know that. Hey, we also really like Keldon Johnson. Like this guy's been a starter now. This is the third year of him being a starter. He came in kind of out of nowhere at the beginning of the second uh, of his second season of the second season of his career, and was a starter on opening night. That was really something anybody around here expected. So. This has been a guy who's been a, a key cog to whatever they've been doing over the last few years. Granted the last two years, he's been asked to essentially play a four, which is not his ideal role. Um, so they're looking and saying, Hey, Keldon, we're giving you this contract. We trust you to move forward with this team. Um, it's, it's not really going to be a problem if you don't pan out because this contract isn't terrible. If you even play to the level you, you did last season, it'll be worth it. And someone might even be, uh, you know, willing to trade for it, especially as the cap continues to explode. Like we already know that you're a solid startable player in the NBA. So we're not too worried about cost. I already brought it up. They have no concern when it comes to cap space. So I think this was pretty much just a, an easy decision for the team to make. Um, lock him up. Let's move forward with the young group. And we'll go from there. If he pans out to be worth the 80 million over four, over, you know, the 80 million. Great. If he exceeds that, like we steal. And so far, so, so far, it looks like they have a steal um, at 74 million guaranteed and a cap of 80 million um, over four years. If he meets incentives, like that's, it, it, it's tough to get much uh, better than that at this point.
0: Yeah, basically the way way to think about it for me is he got a four-year deal at about $20 million a year, maybe a little bit less than that. And then all the yeah. other extensions were around a similar time, four years, but they were like $30 million. So it does seem yeah. like over the course of this contract, it's going to save the Spurs a boatload of money. And like you said... You know whether the timeline thing doesn't work out or whatever it is, this does seem like it could be like a very very tradable contract. So it definitely gives the the you know it keeps the player happy because you know, get some money now, doesn't have to wait till free agency, totally. and then uh, it helps the franchise right because either you're you're getting a player on a good contract or if you need to do something else in a few years, you can move them. So I definitely like that. Yeah, side. it didn't
1: hurt their it didn't hurt their flexibility in any way. If he pans out, awesome. We have a steal. If he doesn't, it's whatever. It's not going to hurt us much. Like you said, it's tradable. Uh, It it really was a pretty easy decision for them. And look, I don't know how much of this went into it, but like good on the Spurs for getting that deal done early. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at the hero contract, the pool contract, like, you look back and you think, man, if they had waited a couple of months, I don't know if eighty million was going to be the number for Keldon. Like, as he progressed in camp and over the summer and things were looking good on his side of things, like his camp may have asked for more than that. So they got that away, and I think it was. It was a, a hell of a job by everyone involved to just get that done and out of the way early.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then I think the two, I think maybe one of the biggest points, I did a little bit of a research project over the offseason on on teams making the finals and how many defensive players you need and how many two-way players, things of that nature. Yeah. And we had Keldon Johnson as a neutral defender uh, last year uh, for his yeah. position, which is 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 pretty solid for a 22-year-old, honestly. Um, and then we had Devin Vassell as a, a big plus on defense as a 21-year-old. So yeah. those two building blocks, you know, you like what you see offensively, the shooting we've talked about, but that they are either solid to good on defense, I feel like really helps sort of sell the idea of the future with these guys.
1: Totally. These are these are not one-way players. Um, they're They're not a liability on either side of the court, and – so that makes investing in both of them pretty much a no-brainer. And if, if Vassell continues to play the way he has, he's going to be in line for something. Yeah, I mean, I I would assume, c- considering sort of the scoring potential that he's already flashing, uh, that he's going to be in line for something even bigger than what Keldon Johnson received. So, um, yeah, these are these are the types of players, when you have this kind of money, you just got rid of DeJounte Murray, who is about to, you know, hit that third contract, which is the big one. You don't have to worry about that money. You can invest in these guys. You're going to have a high draft pick this year. And the hope for the Spurs is that after this summer and, and, you know, probably next summer as well, like you're going to have that foundation in place to, to move forward and, um, And you don't have to worry about what they cost because guys like Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell are going to be under contract on manageable deals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about Jakim Pertl. He was uh, a center that had, honestly, a breakout year offensively last season. He'd always been pretty good in the defensive metrics. He's a guy, I think, 99th percentile in our screening talent metric, uh, 97th percentile in offensive rebounding. So he Brings a lot of things to the table. He's in the last year of his deal. It's been kind of one of those things. He's been floated a lot in trade rumors. Kind of uh, give a little bit of a descriptor for people that aren't super familiar with him uh, and, and kind of <laughs> what he brings to the table. Uh, I've written more about Jakob Pertle than any human probably should.
1: <laughs> uh, I, he, that guy is so underappreciated under just like on a national scale. Um, The Spurs offense, like, okay, DeJounte Murray was the guy who ran go last season. Like, that's – he's unequivocally was the most valuable player on that offense last year. But, like, the whole thing runs around Hurdle. You mentioned his screening. Um, He's – he had – Only one other player in the NBA had more uh, elbow touches than he did per game, and that was Nikola Jokic. Like, Hmm. they run their system through him. He's a dribble handoff machine, a a catch-and-flip machine, you know, finding cutters on the backside. He had nine assists last night. It's one of those things where you don't even notice it when you're watching a game. Um, But Pirtle, and we've seen a little bit more of this this season, and one of the reasons he doesn't get a ton of attention is because like he's not Nikola Jokic. Like he is not the sort of versatile can do everything on the floor type of player. He's not a guy that you want to dump the ball to in the post or, or certainly not going to shoot it uh, from more than like his little 12 foot push shot that somehow like always seems to go in. Um, He's not great at the free throw line, yada, yada, yada. He's not a sexy player, but he is the fulcrum of the offense, like without him on the court, I don't know if we see the types of leaps that we're seeing from Bissell and Johnson and the test that Trey Jones is having. Like he's such a valuable piece and, and cog to what the Spurs do on both sides of the ball. Um, his presence is a drop defender, which he's doing a lot more of this year is allowing the Spurs to really work in their switching scheme that they are this season. Now that uh, now that Jeremy Sohan is in the mix. Um, And uh, yeah, he just, he just allows the offense to operate with more space. He allows it to operate more smoothly. If these, they don't have a ton of ball handlers outside of Trey Jones. And so (laughs) When, when there's a the pressure release valve needed, he's there at the elbow to catch the ball, to turn and face, to look for someone swinging around for the handoff or to flip it to them. Um, he just keeps the the, the offense going, um, and it, he's been incredibly valuable despite this not being like some sort of shot creator that you're typically talking about Um when you, when you talk about important offensive centers, he just kind of makes everything run around him. The, the offense revolves around Pirtle.
0: Yeah, I kind of like when I uh when I find big men that are kind of gl- have some glue guy tendencies because a lot of the times yeah. I feel like we see that in like a really scrappy shooting guard or small forward that's like you know flying around diving for loose balls things of that nature but maybe a guy like Pirtle, a guy like Stephen Adams that you know have the little bit of like the passing hub element, um the sc- yeah. screening right. things, offensive rebounding, uh I feel like that stuff can really go a long way. Uh and it's one of those things where it's sometimes some off ball things where it's, you don't always pick it up on the first viewing, but I feel like the analytics can kind of sure, shine a right, light right. on that. Uh, maybe unseen value.
1: Yeah. He's, he is a very much a glue guy. Um, he's a floor raiser. I remember talking early in the, or before the uh, season started, when everyone is throwing sort of the tank stuff out at the Spurs and like, man, if they're tanking, they sure do have like, a solid group of floor raising players <laughs> that can make the difference that can make the difference in like those last three, you know, spots in the standings, the, the ones that you want, that you those that 14% chance that you want in the draft next season. Um, Jakob Pertle is one of these guys that if he is traded, the bottom could fall out or I wouldn't say the bottom could fall out because of the performances of the sell and Johnson, but, but their ability to operate the way they have been able to, um, would would there would be a major block, a major roadblock put in front of them if Jakob Hurtle were to be traded at any point. And he should have a lot of value on the trade market. Teams should want this guy. He does all of the little things on the court that, that you want out of your big man, defends, you. he's, a, like you said, a passing hub in the offense. But you bring up the glue guy thing, he does all the little dirty work type of stuff. He doesn't mind just Playing his butt off every night, um, you know it, it's he's not in it for the box scores necessarily, and I think those are the types of players that can be very valuable to contending teams down the stretch. And honestly, even the Spurs, if they don't find the kind of deal they want from him, and they're they're willing to or they have confidence in the idea that he would resign with them this summer. I don't really see too much of an issue with doing so. Like keeping this guy around, he just makes everything easier for everyone around him on both sides of the ball. And he's only 26 years old. Like this isn't the type of player you reference Stephen Adams. And sort of in that same vein, in his role in Memphis, you have guys like that who just make life easier on everyone around them and allow for uh, you know quicker development of players, smoother development of players around him. Uh so even if they don't find the kind of deal they're looking for, I honestly, unless he's asking for some exorbitant amount of money, uh, don't really see any problem with the Spurs keeping him going forward.
0: All right. Well, Matthew Tynan, thank you for getting us up to speed on the state of the Spurs. Again, you can check out corporate knowledge, uh, the newsletter to get all your Spurs information. Uh Matthew, what's your Twitter handle and uh you got anything else to plug?
1: Yeah, man. Twitter handle is at Matthew underscore Tynan. And uh, not right now. Um, the newsletter, if you uh, want to, I'm doing the beat writing thing and, and I try to make it a little bit different. I think that you can get gamers everywhere, but I try to take some different angles and some different approaches and some different storytelling ideas uh, covering this team because honestly, like they lost by 43 to the Raptors the other night. No one wants to read about that. Nobody cares about that. So, like, it's it's more of a bigger picture type of look, more of a macroscope. So, um, yeah, if you're interested, come on over. Uh, I promise it'll be... <laughs> It will. I, I promise. I'm at least trying to make this season entertaining. If the losses start to pile up,
0: <laughs> well, that is <laughs> that is <a> commendable. Goal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that. I like hey, that. Hey, man. Bro.
1: Devin like Vassell and Keldon Johnson have been a lot of fun to watch. The Spurs' offense in general. They they play hard. They move fast. They pass. The ball moves everywhere. Uh, they've been a really entertaining team to watch so far. So uh, I think that. Even if they do lose a bunch of games, there's at least that element of, you know, the basketball element of of it. They're competitive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Matthew. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. Hopefully we'll talk to you in the future. Maybe get us up to speed on the Spurs again. Uh, My name is Taylor. For Krishna Producing, uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.